0: Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Rich Faye I'm joined for this one by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello Rich. And by Tyrod Marshall. Hello Rich. And yeah, it's never a quiet week reporting on Manchester United, is it? I and mean, even when there isn't a game, there's a lot that's happened since we last recorded in the wake of that Aston Villa winning the FA Cup. It's Villa again this weekend, but it should have a different look to it. Samuel United should be bo- boosted by the return of a a quartet of, of first-team players. I mean, that's probably being generous to Phil Jones, but it should be a, a good occasion this weekend against Aston Villa. But before we get onto that game, like we said, there's a lot to get through. We've got Tyrone story and Donny van Der Bake, which is you know been addressed by Ralph Rannick in his press conference as well, that we've recorded this just after. And Cristiano Ronaldo has given a no-bars interview, sort of giving his take on all things Manchester United. So I guess to start off, it probably is that Ronaldo interview, Samuel. And, yeah, he's rather bluntly sp- spoken about the season so far at United. He's not here just to be playing in the Europa League, to be sixth or seventh. Of course, in the summer himself, he said he had unfinished business to take care of. What did you make of it? Was it refreshing for you to hear a United player talk so openly? it was
1: he he spoke like how a manchester united captain should speak and united haven't had that this season luke Shaw is is, is obviously a very uh, candid talker in a, a time of crisis he's he's done that a couple of times this season and, and i suppose a lot of supporters are growing a bit tired of that whereas ronaldo hasn't been as as accessible with with interviews but with these chats he did with the rights holder uh, rights holders i think one was with sky uh, Another was with Premier League, PLP, Premier League Productions, and he did another one in, in Portuguese with with ESPN Brazil. He, he outlined all the issues at United, and it, it was it was refreshing that he was as frank and candid as he was, and and kind of dug out some players without naming them. He went about it in quite quite a tactful way, a uh, political way. Uh, you know, he, he said that with with younger the younger generation it's it's not just uh, confined to, to a dressing room in, in a football environment, it's it's in other walks of life. He was making the comparison with his children, but he has he has confirmed what a lot of people suspected, which is that a lot of younger members in the United dressing room do not like criticism. And I think that's quite why quite a lot of us, just from this side of the fence, um, as as journalists have have always had a lot of time for sure, because he's he was obviously Jesse Mourinho's whipping boy. Uh, he's been scapegoated once or twice by supporters. He's had the whole, you know, fat shaming going on online. He's, he's had a hell of a lot of, of flack in his career, but you don't really hear any murmurs of discontent from him. Um, he's, he, he just cracks on and he's very grateful to be at United. Whereas with other players, um, it, it, it's easier <laughs> when, when things leak out from the club um, it's it's easy to know who to go to. Um, is, is, I suppose is is the bluntest way of putting it. And if, if Ronaldo isn't going to get a rise out of these players, then United haven't got much of a hope whatsoever. That they do need, they do need that authoritative leadership. Uh, I think with Harry Maguire as Manchester United captain, obviously that's that's something that. Doesn't rest well with with a number of supporters, just because I don't think he was he's a particularly credible option. I think he's got captaincy instincts, but he was he was promoted too prematurely by the previous manager. And you con you contrast when Ronaldo first went into the United dressing room in two thousand three, where the captain was keen. You had that leadership group that also included Gary Neville, Ryan Giggs, Paul Skulls to a lesser extent. Ruud van Nistelrooy had only been at the club for a couple of years, but already retained immense authority and and demands on on the players to to provide him with service because he was a world-class striker at the time. It's a completely different environment now. And I don't think that necessarily has to be a generational thing. You've, You've got to work to the same goals and have the same standards. And obviously, the standards have, have plummeted since Ronaldo left in 2009. And that would have been the relevant question if the club had bothered to do a press conference for the most seismic signing in their history. I mean, it's not a good news story. It was a great news story. But for some reason, they didn't feel the need to maximise that. Uh, but the relevant question would have been what what gives you confidence of coming back to a club and being successful when this club hasn't won anything for four years? And Bluntly, that the manager is only going to sell as well, um, but that question has never been put to him. So it was, it, it was, it was just nice actually, from from a journalistic perspective, that uh, Steve Bauer was the, 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 ironically used to be uh, the chief commentator on MUTV, who was asking him the questions for for PLP and elicited those answers where Ronaldo was was quite blunt about uh, some some of his teammates not having the the mentality that he wants them to have.
0: Yeah, exactly. And particularly this season where we've spoken so much about maybe social media presences of players where it's not actually them addressing these issues and you get these hollow statements after United miss a penalty or lose a game. You know, To hear someone with that authority speaks openly is refreshing. And Ty, I guess the question it does bring on again, as Samuel touched upon there, is maybe one of leadership at United because you know on paper they've got these people like Fernandes and Maguire who, who you know, they are the leaders of this United team, but they're not winners. They, they, they don't win major trophies. And again, United still have that big asterisk or maybe that question mark next to them that they've got this squad, but it's a squad of untapped, unfilled potential. And do you think that there still is that sort of leadership issue at United? And you know, we saw against Aston Villa on Monday, there was no Maguire or no Ronaldo. And United still look like a team who maybe lack that authority on the pitch.
2: Yeah, I think it probably is lacking a, a, a leader or two in the dressing room. Um, I, mean, I can't see a scenario where Maguire loses the captaincy at the moment or anytime soon. But I think he was promoted to it very early in his United tenure. I'm not sure it's a long, but well, it's obviously not a long term move to give it to Ronaldo because you don't know how long he's going to be here for. Fernandez, tosca was praised. Fernandez his, I don't know if you call it leadership, but I guess so in the early, in the early months. But he's very demonstrative with his teammates he's when things go wrong he's very quick to to chide them maybe less quick to to chide his own performances I'm not sure that's what you'd want from a captain and it does it almost feels you know Ronaldo's comments about the younger players not taking criticism were were really interesting a lot of that almost feels generational in a way and that he is like Samuel says he's an older player who came through when the the likes of Keane of Gary Neville of players like that would think nothing of putting him in in the dressing room and saying you can't do this in training you can't do this in a game or just telling him how it is. It almost feels like there's been such a seismic shift between generations that you can't speak to this generation like that Mm. or you can speak to them like that, but they won't respond. And it does, it kind of feels like it's a a balancing act when you've got players in the squad of, of Ronaldo's level and Ronaldo's standing and brought up that way. And this generation, who I just don't think respond to it particularly well, or certainly a lot of them don't respond to it pretty well, but at the end of the day, professional footballers at Man United, you're going to be told you've done things incorrectly at times. I think it's probably a challenge for all managers in, in how to, to manage sort of generation X or Z or whatever we call them these days. Um, there is clearly, you know, social media and, and things like that have, have changed sort of how they go about it. And even from players that were coming through 10, 15 years ago, the attitudes feel different. But it does, it, it feels like It lacks this squad lacks leaders to kind of bring it together, you know, you look at them on the pitch and they're nowhere near the collective of some of the other teams. I've been saying it for a while. I saw Jamie Carragher said it today in his Telegraph column on United, which was I know people won't go to Jamie Carragher generally for the United stuff, but was actually um, was actually quite good and, and he just said it, you know, it looks a team of unlikable players and I think a lot of fans think that way too. I don't think the fans are looking at that team and thinking this is what I want my United team to look like, not just in terms of how they play but in terms of how they represent themselves. They don't look like there's any unity there. They don't look like they're all in it together. They don't look like they're having fun. So it does. It feels like the squad. A lot of that is because of unhappy players, which we'll come on to. It's too big a squad to keep everyone happy. It feels like it needs major surgery, but it also needs some characters that can just sort of knit it all together, rather than it becoming two factions of you know older, experienced players and and younger players who who don't want, don't want to hear that sort of talk anymore. It, it does feel like it's a squad lacking. More than needs more than one leader. It doesn't need a good captain. It needs other leaders who can bring it all together, sort of socially and culturally, and and things like that.
0: Yeah, United need to be united. And Samuel, I guess that does bring us on to maybe another question as well. That you both touched upon there, and I mean, Ty sort of touched upon that as well, and saying that you know the way that football sort of roles have changed over the last ten years anyway. And I've got to come to you on the captaincy anyway. It does feel like that is more of a token role these days and maybe there's more emphasis put on the armbands and the importance of it when you have other people leading in the dressing room maybe that in itself is the problem that United the the whole subject of being United captain has lost the kudos it used to have you've touched upon it briefly before talk about Maguire being captain and getting the armband very early on into his tenure do you think that there could be a chance of of seeing a, a captaincy change yourself this season or do you personally think that there needs to be one
1: I think there needs to be one. I don't think there will be one. I think it's too late in the season now to rock the boat there. Um, even though it would have merit, you could argue that Maguire's form, certainly this season, maybe it's worth taking it away from him, seeing if it would benefit him. The counterpoint to that is that it might completely demoralise him and his, his form would would become worse. It's it's never a good sign if a club is changing captains midway through a season, as, as has been the case at Arsenal a couple of times in in recent years and you had the time when William Gallas was was stripped of the captaincy as well i think so i, I think it's it's unforeseeable really and i i agree with you the the role of the captain in in England is I, I think we place probably too much importance on it um there were commercial reasons for that and i think because of the role at the national at national level as well the commercial uh the commercialization of the captaincy has been it's, factored into that. And there've been you know, quite a couple of scandals revolving um, around that position as well in the last 15 years or so. Uh, obviously, John Terry is the one that, that sticks out. But there, there is just a it's just lack of leaders at United, players who are going to grab a game by the lapels, grab a teammate by the lapels. Um, it, it is partly a generational thing, but you can still, you know, as, as often as as much as generations change, you you still need leaders, and that there, there are still ways of of leading a team. Like John Henderson, will will always be in a referee's ear, um, and I think that probably has an impact at, at one point or another. Like with, with Henderson, you you fully believe in him as a captain, even though as as a player, talent wise, he's he's clearly not one of the most. Um, one of the most blessed players in the Liverpool squad, but he certainly has merit in leading those players. Roy Keane wasn't anywhere near the most technically proficient United player, but he played to his full potential and he maximised that through his leadership as well. And he was—he's you know, he's been the greatest captain in the in the club's history. The, the, the trouble is, if if you're going into a dressing room at United now, whether you're Ronaldo, whether you're Amad, there's not a player really, apart from Ronaldo, to to look up to. I think there's possibly an argument for Pogba with certain players, but Pogba's not going to be there much longer. Certainly when United next sign players in the summer, Pogba won't be there. Nobody really has that gravitas other than Ronaldo. You cannot make an argument for Fernandes, even though his form has tailed off a hell of a lot this season. But he's still, he was still a player who in his mid-twenties was at Sporting Lisbon. And I think one of the things just... Looking at it objectively, that I find annoying with Fernandes is that I, I don't see the problem with him whinging, but sometimes he'll whinge when it's his fault and none of the other players will will put him back in his box and tell him to focus on his own game or tell him to you know, shut up for having an expletive in as well. Um, the, the most memorable occasion last season was at Leeds when Harry Maguire called Fred an effing idiot. Uh, I can't remember what the context was, but it was, it was certainly loud and um it was certainly directed at Fred as well, but you you need a bit of that aggression sometimes, and certainly with this team you can't be you can't be picky about it whatsoever, whether they're nice or whether they're uh, tough or whether they're you know really nasty to each other because they haven't won anything for so long, and so you've got to trial certain ways and see if see if certain players are found out as well and that's been the noticeable thing this season with the pressure back on properly with crowds back and the
0: expectations raised. A lot of players have been rumbled. Yeah, um, now that we go on to what's happened in the press conference, Ty, um, Ralph Raniak's addressed the futures of Dean Henson and Donny van der Beek. Well, he kind of has anyway. He said he doesn't want to lose either of them this month. You did the piece earlier in the week saying that Donny van der Beek has been offered to Newcastle and Borussia Dortmund on loan, but the caveat to that is it would need United's blessing to go ahead. What is the latest on the Dutchman? And I guess, like we said, when you see that headline, maybe hopefully he's going away, but do you still expect him to be United by deadline day?
2: Um Probably, because Ranick wants to keep him. But I guess it a lot of it depends how hard van der Beek pushes to, to leave, really. Um And, I mean, if he, if he starts on Saturday, if he starts tomorrow, then maybe that will, will will soothe his apprehension. But in reality, I don't think any of us expect him to start, even though he's probably got a good case for it. I think it's four of 57 Premier League games he started now, or something like that. and not started a meaningful one in over a year. It, it is... There's obviously concerns about him because Solskjaer and Ranick have haven't played him in the Premier League. So there's obviously concerns about his physicality, but you can understand it from from his perspective, really. Um, it's clear he wants to go. Intermediaries have offered him to, to Newcastle and, and Dortmund. Like we say, it would require United to be willing to let him go. I mean, it doesn't sound like Ranjuk is saying definitely no. I think Van der Beek and Henderson have both probably got an argument that they deserve to be let go, to be honest, Um that the Henderson-De Gea dynamic was was never sustainable. Soscar admitted that before um, the last game of last season and said he had to make a decision. Maybe you could say circumstances went against him a little bit in the summer with, with Henderson's long battle with COVID, but it was a goalkeeper that ambitious. If he was number two, you were never going to keep him happy. And if he became number one, you had a £375,000 a week goalkeeper as number two. So it was sustainable for a season and a season at most. De Gea has, has won the war, I guess you could call it. Um, so, Henderson is, was never going to want to stick around and he's going to want to go and play first-team football. There's no doubt about that. Van der Beek, the same. He's barely getting a look in at United. He can't even start FA Cup third-round games. He's lost his place in the Holland team. He's You can understand why he wants to go and the reasons for keeping him seem limited. I mean, United have got seven or eight central midfielders, really, if you include Lingard and Mata.
0: Hmm.
2: He, he could have left in the summer, Everton wanted him in the summer. He was told 40 hours before the window he could go and find a club and, and found Everton. And then Tosco was indecisive all summer and pulled the plug on it at the last minute and told him he'd get his chance. And he still hasn't got his chance. So I'm not sure anyone expects him to come in the team and, and work miracles by this stage. And I'm, I'm sure one of the managers would have seen something in him now if he was going to play. But it seems when United have got such a big squad, it seems pointless to be keeping two players who are clearly so unhappy, who were clearly unhappy with the way they've been treated at the club you're almost better just doing the honourable thing, I guess, for want of a better word, and, and letting them both go because Henderson's not getting games. United's he's not going to play in the Champions League knockout rounds. Maybe he'd play against Middlesbrough. I don't think that's going to keep him happy. Uh, Van der Beek the same. He's not going to play against Atletico Madrid. I don't think a game against Middlesbrough is going to keep him happy. So, you know, you're taking a risk with injuries maybe, but Randy's already said the squad's too big, so... I don't think it'd be the worst idea in the world just to to let the pair of them go really and, and probably might sort of help. You know, I, I don't think either have been any trouble particularly in terms of being around their squad members but when you've got players who are obviously unhappy, who are telling the manager they're unhappy, it, it doesn't help with with creating a, a good environment around the squad so it might be United's interest to eventually just let them both go.
0: Samuel, I guess this question might, might sound stupid in a way then. Why don't United just let them go? Because to supporters, it just seems you're wasting them. And you've got Raniuk at this press conference saying, we need three top goalkeepers. We're still in three competitions. Like Ty said there, to actually keep that, particularly the goalkeeper, to keep them both happy is impossible. And if you've got a keeper who's happy to be second choice for backup, then... He's not got the right mentality anyway to be at Manchester United, in my opinion. But van der Beek, like we say, every week. I know it's tedious. Ranjik said in his press conference today, I understand why he wants to be back in the Holland squad. Lou van Hal says he needs to be playing regularly if he wants to get back into the Netherlands team as well. We'll play him then. Why Why aren't United playing them or selling them? It just seems crazy that they're not making a hard decision either way.
1: Well, with the midfield department in the way it is, it's... it's pretty depleted especially as Pogba's uh, injury is going to keep him out until late February so if they were to get rid of one of those midfielders and then another gets injured then they're pretty much down to the bare bones they've only got two options there although they could draft in some auxiliary options in in emergency circumstances. Fernandes can play deep there. Uh, Lindelof, as as a youth teamer, and Vasteras, I think, played in midfield as well. That there, there are alternatives, but that area is, I mean, Rangnick said there's intense competition there. I, I don't believe that. I don't think anyone believes that. You look at the state of that midfield and it's it's like a tombola most week. I think they've used seven different combinations this season and not one of them has really properly worked at all. And with... I suppose with the goalkeeping situation, from a manager's perspective, he's going to be worried that if De Gea gets injured, then it's 35-year-old Tom Heaton coming in who can't have played for two years or started a game for two years. I would have thought he had a bad injury at Aston Villa um, a couple of months before the pandemic swept across Europe. I think, I think you is that right, Ty? I think 2020. Yeah,
2: I think it will be about then. Yeah, I don't think around the new
1: year. Post oh, pandemic, yeah. So that that would be a massive issue. And then you've got Lee Grant um, as his number two, who's a 38-year-old, who's, I mean, his only start for United was in Astana when he was surrounded by players half his age. So I, I can understand the thinking behind it to an extent, but De Gea has, has hardly missed um, many games through injury at all during his United career. I think you could probably count on two hands how many he's he's missed or been forced to miss through injury so you've got to take the con- you've got to just give henderson that opportunity he's been mismanaged by solskjar um it's not rangnick's fault but it's, it's it's not a great position for rangnick to have come in either the the delay in sacking Solskjaer has really not helped this if they'd sacked him in late october mm. the manager's got two months of prep uh, to get to know the players and before the january transfer window opens if they'd sacked him during the international break he's he's got six weeks, month and a half, best part of two months, waiting until late November. And of course, then there was a week after Solskjaer was sacked that Rangnick was um, was officially appointed and he didn't take charge of his first games until 4th of December, I think it was, and didn't train the players and properly until the day before. Your focus, Your immediate focus is not going to be on transfers. It's about playing games that come relatively thick and fast and you've got the COVID outbreak to throw into it and then the team come back and play like a drain against Newcastle, um, defeat to Wolves. So he's got a lot on his plate as it is without just getting down to the squad management and the squad is far too bloated and that's on Solskjaer's mismanagement. Reading Ty's pieces about Van der Beek this week and reading that Solskjaer was torn about what to do with Van der Beek, it's, in, it's completely in keeping with the indecision of a manager who people in Norway think is an inferior manager than the coach of the national team and the coach of Christiansen, whoever that is so united are in this position for a number of reasons the ludicrousness of keeping sales as man, permanent manager for as long as they did giving him a new contract in the summer after the europa league final disaster class and then not sacking him sooner so i have an element of sympathy with Rangnick and and sympathize with those players who which is so badly mismanaged. I mean, today you've got the United Instagram account talking about when Donny brought the sauce to Villa Park. And of course, that was in a behind-closed-doors friendly before the start of last season that wasn't even televised live at the time because the the clubs mutually agreed to put it out at 10 p.m., um, nobody knew for certain what the final score was and they're choosing clips from that game to talk up this 40 million dud really so far and he's only a dud because United haven't played him often enough um but we come back to your toddler analogy Rich it was it was so immortal it made made one of the fan websites last week you know you could nobody could put it better than you did last week they are like a toddler when someone uh, takes their toy, they want to play with it immediately. And that's the way United are going about with this very, very dubious squad management.
0: That's De Villa again this weekend, Ty. I don't know which source you're going to be taking to Villa Park, but uh, <laughs> talking about the, the lineup, the way United are going to approach it. As we said at the start of the pod, United should have Ronaldo, Sancho, Maguire, and Jones back for selection. Of course, McTominay and Shaw both suspended for this one. So, you know, you're getting a, on one hand, you're getting something, on the other hand, you're getting it taken away. I was just thinking myself then in terms of with Teller's gonna start on the left and maybe Dallo on the right, you know, I think he deserves to start over wan Bissaka. Could you see United you know, changing to a three at the back and having wing backs or do you think it will still be similar formation to the one we saw at the start of the week?
2: Well, I don't know really, because it feels like um it feels like basically Rannick's tried it his way with the four two two two. Um and then on Monday he tried it the players way with their four two three one and neither has really worked. I mean they won on Monday but they were pretty poor and comprehensively outplayed for most of the game. The fact that he spoke up in his press comments afterwards about how much better the last 20 minutes was with the diamond midfield makes you think maybe that is an option. Um, the concern, the concern for me with the diamond would be that it requires all the width to come from fullbacks. And I don't think United have the quality Mm -hmm. of attacking fullbacks to make it work long term. but it could work for now. And I think it was obvious in the 4-2-3-1, it was obvious for 70 minutes that the midfield was getting completely outplayed. Villa had uh, uh Douglas Luiz, McGinn and Ramsey in there. Buendia dropped back in. Fernandez is basically a second striker in a four-two-three-one. So you had that four at times just against Fred and McTominay, and it was just so easy for Villa to to progress the ball up the pitch. So playing the same system this weekend would feel a risk. He could go back to that four two two two, but Oh, that feels that feels a little bit pointless to me because whoever comes in as as manager in the summer, and I think we can be pretty sure it's not going to be Ranier now, is not going to play a four-two-two-two two, two, because it's a pretty unique formation. It's one that Ranier clearly likes and thinks works in terms of pressing, but I'm not sure it's working for this group of players, and I'm not sure it's worth spending five months on trying to drill them into it when it's going to be thrown out in in May. So, not sure that's worth a, a long term commitment to. Be three centre backs, I guess. I would go with the diamond. I don't think it's ideal long term because it, it requires width from the full backs, like I'm saying, I don't think they're good enough. And also, you've got then you've got no place for the 73 million pound winger that you signed in the summer to much fanfare. So, not ideal. There's a lot of square pegs and round holes going on at the moment with, with United and trying to make things work. And it feels like it feels like one of those kids' games where you take the apples away from one compartment and put them in another. But there's just in this game, there's no actual right answer and solution. There's always going to be. Not enough apples to to fit the holes. I'm not sure where that analogy came from in the end. sauce. Um... <laughs> we'll come to yeah. that. You know, I'll take that <laughs> but... tomorrow. That's that's the gist yeah. of it, anyway.
0: Yeah, well, I, I was going to come to you quickly on that, Samuel. I'll just say, in terms of the formation, it seems like one of United's. I mean, I mean, they've got a strong squad anyway. Like we all know that, but it does seem like whichever formation they go with, at least maybe two, at least one or two key players have to drop out because it almost sounds like if you accommodate Fernandez, then you can't have a winger. If you've got wingers and you can't really accommodate Fernandes and his role, the midfield, you know, you've got to have effective players. You can't really have your, your big names there. So someone's always going to miss out. And it feels like United, I mean, the piece that you did as well from the press conference, Raniuk doesn't know his formation. He's hinted he could try things in-game on the fly and try to switch things up. Do you see any formation that you would back and say that is United's strongest at the moment? Or do you are you just as sort of confused as ranyuk
1: it's it's impossible to say what their best one is because none of them none of them are foolproof anyway. But with each one you put United in, there's a massive issue in it. If they go four, three, three, it's who's the hold who's the defensive midfield who's going to be holding the four. And you can't do that with Matic on a on a consistent level just because of his age and he, he's not got the energy. And I think they tried it earlier in the season to somewhat against Newcastle and they even got exposed by Newcastle in that 4-1 win they're not using McTominay in that role I, I still think it is worth just trying a minute you've just got to do what's best for the team and McTominay can be a, a decent goal getter although his, his goal against Burnley was his first club goal in in 10 months I think and then he's, he's just followed up with another one against Villa but I really think that the way Mourinho used him and the way Sarsco used him you just need a kind of like a mix of it, really, and that Solskjaer improved him as a player. But I think Mourinho identified the right role for him. He can he can do it further forward, but I don't think United necessarily need that from him. They've got to do what's what's best for the team because there's an imbalance there and that's that's a potential solution and it's an untried solution that um, Solskjaer and Rangnick have both been reluctant to go with this season. And, and I don't think they've actually used 4-3-3 in a game, uh, this season either. It's always been, certainly under Salescat, it was always 4 or occasionally back three. And the irony of that is that when he when he started as, as caretaker, they thrived in 4-3-3. Um, it, it goes back to not recruiting midfielders in that uh, summer of 2019 uh, after Fellaini left in the winter and then Herrera went to PSG in the summer. And they've just not got the right personnel um, for, for what they what they need at the moment, or, or to compete with other teams. I think there's merit in going to a diamond at Villa because I'm going off Rangnick's own analysis here. He said Villa were quite a central team. Villa play four three three. So the the problem you immediately saw with the team sheet on Monday night was that United were going to get outnumbered in midfield, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what happened quite a few times. And it was only when van der Beek came on and they seemed a bit more compact in that area. And the mitigation was was that Villa were fatigued and they were probably a bit demoralised by the chances they'd missed and the goals that they'd had disallowed. And United saw the game out relatively comfortably. But in order for that to happen, you have to start Van der Beek, which just, just doesn't seem to happen. And it seems like a stretch for him to start against Aston Villa at Villa Park. 5 30 kickoff. Club lifted by Philip Cuccino in the team. Narrowly lost to United on the Monday. Can they right the wrongs? Steven Gerrard being motivated by United fans goading him. It has the ingredients of not a shock result, but it has.
0: It has the ingredients
1: there for for Villa to finally beat United at at Villa Park in the league.
0: Yeah, United are unbeaten in their last 22 away games against Villa. I think last time they lost, there was a League Cup match in 1999. So, yeah, United really do have that form of going to Villa Park and turning it into quite a routine win. I know there's been a few scares over the years, but it looks like it could be a tricky one this weekend. And Ty, as you say, if they repeat the performance of Monday night, that they are going to be there for the taking. And it probably does come down to that formation and making sure they're not overrun in midfield by that buoyant villa side. What do you expect in a tie? Do you think that we could see United, who knows, play well, get a win, or or do you think that this could be one of those games where United, like they have done so often the season, fail to get going, are there for the taking again?
2: The latter, uh, unfortunately. I mean I think that was that was their tenth win in the twenty-two games since that 4-1 against Newcastle on I think on Monday night. And of those twenty-two games you could count the times they've played well. With probably one hand, maybe two at the most. I mean, they are consistently playing poorly at the moment. It is a surprise when you turn up to a game and they play well. So, if they play well uh, tomorrow night and they're going to have to play well to win, it would be a surprise on, on current evidence. So, and if they play poorly, I mean, they were fortunate to win on, on Saturday, if they, on Monday, sorry. If they repeat that performance when this game is at Villa Park, like Samer says, it, it's a good kickoff time in terms of atmosphere. Villa have obviously had a good week off the pitch with Coutinho and Dinja signing. I mean, it's got all the hallmarks of of Villa getting a result, really, hasn't it? You just hope that United somehow find a performance and and play well, because at the moment, that's that's just not happening often enough. And like I say, at the moment, you're turning up to games at Old Trafford and, ex, well, anywhere, basically, and expecting them to play poorly.
0: Before we go, then, Samuel, do you want to jump in on that? I was going to go for predictions, or do you want to weave them into two?
1: Well, it's, it's not a nice thing to admit, but it's become I don't know. You, you probably agree, tight. Um, given the amount of things we say to each other, sat next to each other games, <laughs> but it, it seems to have become a chore watching them again. There was just that brief half half a bounce against Palace, where they were you know, they looked a different side, but same to season ticket holder this week. It, it the, the last month has has been a chore, unfortunately, and that that should never be the case. Um, Going, going to watch your w- watch team play especially when the, they've had a managerial change recently as well
0: and they need to get the good times back they need to get Ole Gunnar on charge free-flowing football on the counter-attack <laughs> the United Way the DNA what could possibly go wrong okay, so Villa this weekend then what are you both saying you don't need to give the score but what result do you think he's going to be brave enough to jump in first Time to we go with you you seem pessimistic you're already shaking your head for those who can't see <laughs> uh,
2: yeah <laughs> Uh, um, I'll go with a draw. okay Samuel, do you agree or do you think
0: I'd, to yeah yeah
1: I, 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 I would be pleasantly surprised if United play well and win um,
0: but the, the early forecast is is that that won't happen. So yeah, probably a bit, draw as well yeah, unless Donny Underbeek brings the sauce who knows what will be served <laughs> up at Villa Park on Saturday tea time then Samuel Ty, thank you very much for joining us on the Manchester's Red podcast this week. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Rich. Thank you very much, wherever you are in the world as well, for listening once again. We'll be back early next week to discuss what did happen at Villa Park and look ahead to the rearranged game against Brentford. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already, and we'll see you again next time.